May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So as I've mentioned, we're going to spend this summer, about the next nine weeks, working through specific scriptures from Luke and Acts, focusing on the missional theme that these two books have in common. Now, of course, we are normally a lectionary church, which means we stick to that three-year calendar of scripture readings that takes us through the whole story of scripture if you read it faithfully. But in the summer, I think it can be helpful to mix things up a little bit and take a deeper dive into scripture and that long stretch from Pentecost to All Saints Day to try to really learn something as a congregation about God's word to shape our understanding of what we're actually about as a church. As someone said to me recently, this can be a hard thing because it's your job to tell people things they haven't thought about and might not want to. (laughs) And that might be true, but I am nothing if not optimistic. And my hope is that over a longer time period with one fewer scripture reading every week, and the printed books in front of us, we'll be able to dig a little deeper into the propulsive truth of the gospel, the kinetic energy of our faith, that Jesus sent his disciples out into the world on a mission, and that we are part of that sending. Of course, this is a particularly timely preaching series as we continue to get to know our neighbors and settle into our new home. But this morning, before we get into that specific reading from Luke, we need to do a little bit of framing. What does the word missional actually mean? And what does it have to do with us? We know that there are consequences to the meaning of words, particularly true within a biblical worldview. The Hebrews were suspicious of images as conveyors of truth. That's why in the Old Testament, the purpose of words And the meaning of words was guarded so carefully. Christians carry this tradition on. We are people formed by the capital W word and by words. Part of faithfulness then means guarding the meaning of words to make sure there's clarity about what we mean when we describe things. That's one of the reasons why we have a name for everything in the church. Specificity and precision are disciplines that Christians have always practiced. Alan Hirsch, perhaps the most prominent missional theologian of our time, said this, recovering a missional understanding of God and of God's church is essential for the survival of Christianity. So the stakes are pretty high that we try to understand the missional nature of the church. We need to get the words right. And I think that proper understanding starts with understanding who God is. God is a missionary. By his very nature, God is sending, taking the initiative to redeem the creation. This goes back to the calling of Israel and to the incarnation of Jesus. God has always been on a mission, and the church is the instrument of that mission, sent into the world with a message to proclaim. Now, we often say the church has a mission, don't we? But it would probably be more correct to say that God 
the mission of God has a church. Now, as things stand, many people see it the other way around. They believe that mission is an instrument of the church, a means by which the church is expanded. Membership is grown. Or that mission is something that only happens when we send people or funds to other places. Many churches, of course, have mission statements or talk about the importance of missionary activity. But it is actually our whole posture towards the world that has to be missional. The mission of God to redeem the world and the sending of the church to fulfill that mission should be our originating impulse, the organizing principle that holds us together. So a truly missional community then is patterned after what God has done in calling together a group of people to worship him. To be missional means that we've been sent into the world for the sake of the world. Now, for a long time, the church was dominated by another method of seeing itself. I'll call it the attractional model. And the attractional model sought to draw people in to where churches were by getting their attention and then by showing that we could meet whatever needs they might have. This isn't all bad, but there are some limitations. And that's because the attractional model only works where you don't have to make a big cultural shift to get from outside the church to inside the church, where the barrier between the two cultures is pretty permeable. So if the external culture of the world and the internal culture of the church are roughly the same, the attractional model works really well. You put up a steeple, you put a sign out front with the service times on it, and then wait for the masses to come streaming in when they learn about all the good benefits they can find by joining your church. And unfortunately, this actually still works. With a coffee shop and a preschool and the right lights and music, you can always draw a crowd. And those things are not actually negative in and of themselves. But if you lure people into your church with something other than Jesus Christ and his gospel, eventually they're going to figure it out. And they're going to find a better show to go to. As Western culture has been increasingly post-Christian, the attractional model is losing its effectiveness. So we now live in this kind of cross-cultural missionary environment where an attractional church actually isn't that attractive. There are better things that you could do with your time. There are better shows to go to. And there's also no longer this kind of broad agreement that anybody should go to church anyway, no matter what amenities might be offered. So now we find ourselves in a world where our faith actually has to show up in everyday life to be compelling. So we have to be honestly missional. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we have to be the ones carrying the mission out in our lives, in every sphere of our lives. This is probably especially true in the Pacific Northwest. Because our culture will probably never be dominated by Christian influence ever again. And the solution to that challenge is not to draw increasingly into our comfortable bubbles, but to engage with the people around us who cannot possibly imagine what good going to church would offer them anyway. And to engage in that way forces us to be vulnerable. And as you may have noticed, Vulnerability is not getting more popular. We have to trust Jesus 
to be the one who is leading, to promote the spread of the gospel and the establishment of the kingdom just as he promised to do, we have to give up our desire to control and trust that actually Christ is the one drawing people into his church. Now, this is a significant shift. As a people called by a missionary God, we are called to engage the world in the same way that he does, by going out, by being sent. And if we don't do this, we're blocking God's purposes. And when the church is on mission, it is the church that Christ founded. It is truly the church that he still uses to transform lives. And going out into the world in this way is exactly what Jesus has in mind when he sends his disciples out in Luke's gospel in chapter 10 that we read this morning. I'll draw your attention there again. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they offer, for the laborer deserves his wages. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So Jesus commissions these 72 and he sends them out in pairs together to go to prepare the way for his own arrival. In the Jewish tradition, 70 elders translated the law from Hebrew into Greek. And in Genesis 10, the number of the nations of the world is 70. So it seems we're meant to understand by the sending of these 72 that Jesus is symbolically sending disciples out in preparation for the sending of the church to all nations, peoples, and tongues. And Jesus tells the disciples two things, how to behave and what to expect. He doesn't tell them that they'll be well thought of everywhere that they go, that people will respect their faith even if they disagree with it, that they will find life easier and simpler now that they're following the Lord. They get none of that, but they're told to go anyway. And they're also not told to be all that well prepared. No money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. These disciples are like if you and I decided that we were going to plant a church and send someone into a new town with no research, no demographics, and no funding. They're going to have to rely on the hospitality of others to even find food or a place to sleep. But it must be the case that there is a link between being a stranger in a strange town and recognizing the work of the triune God in that place. Because when the disciples of Jesus are giving up their status and their qualifications and their stuff, they become like strangers and they are dependent on their hosts so that they can see God at work more clearly. It seems that what God is doing has a lot more to do with being a stranger in a new place and being able to receive hospitality from others than being in control of the resources and the answers. They will receive the hospitality of others in the same way that we have received the hospitality of God because they have nothing to offer their hosts, just as you and I have nothing of real worth to give to God except our whole lives. 
This is the experience that Luke's readers were having in the first century. The world had changed rapidly. Christians had been kicked out of the Jewish synagogues where the church started, and suddenly believers in Jesus had to adapt to a whole new world. We have to learn from their example. The sending of these disciples is teaching us to leave our baggage behind when we go out to meet new people and tell them the good news. This is to practice a kind of missional vulnerability, and it's a hard thing for Christians to manage. We want to bring our baggage with us. We like our baggage. Our baggage is special because it's ours, and we've cultivated a long and happy relationship with our baggage. Other people can leave their baggage behind. Ours is coming with us. You're like, we are often like the people that you may have seen others, never any of us, uh, checking in for a flight where the sign clearly says two carry-on items per person, and they have a backpack on and two bags, one in each hand, and you see, you know they see the sign. They know the rules. They've been on planes before, but they're bringing those three bags. And so as they come to the gate, they try to explain to the gate agent that these are actually not three bags, but it's just really two bags and a personal item. And the gate agent has to patiently explain, well, no, but that, that does add up to three. You're going to have to leave one of those behind. We are the same way when it comes to bringing our baggage with us. But we have to really learn God intends for us to see what he is doing in a new place and in a new way. We're being called to love and serve. We have to learn to leave the baggage that we brought with us and trust Jesus. That means we have to learn to dwell among and be present to the others that God has called us to and not only see them as targets of our love. We cannot ask what God is doing in neighborhoods and communities and families when we think we already have the answer. We have to be patient to see what God is doing and not predetermine the outcome. Jesus sends his followers, Jesus sends us, out on a mission for the sake of the kingdom. In the context of a culture where identity crises seem to be springing up all the time, it is people who are willing to put themselves in vulnerable positions, in the space of mission, at the very frontier of what God is doing, who are able to respond most faithfully. Because the faithful God has sent the boundary-breaking Holy Spirit to create communities of disciples of Jesus who are committed to this kind of journeying together. Luke's message is that the kingdom is brought about by the steady faithfulness of these ordinary people, ordinary women and men who are used by God to shape a faithful future. People like you and I, you notice that the 72 are nameless, not like Peter, James, and John and the other of the 12 disciples, but they are a vast crowd whose names we don't know, but who by their own faithful response to God's word can still be part of the coming of the kingdom. You and I have been called in the same way. And our proclamation of that gospel, the sharing that we do doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be consistent and honest, true to who Christ is and who he has called us to be. If we can be a church If we can be a people that embraces being sent in that way, we won't have to come up with any kind of fancy new gimmick in order to attract attention, but instead simply create space for others to come and see the work of God that is happening here. 
The most compelling thing about the church is never programs or preaching or even wonderful music. It is the radiant love of Jesus Christ on display in God's people. It is the gathered community that is committed to being sent, not just to stay at home in a comfortable space of our own making, but like Christ in the incarnation itself, being willing to go out, to risk something, to share in the transforming love of Jesus. Now, you may not feel like a radical most days, but you are part of a community that proclaims the radical and countercultural belief that God does indeed want to be in a relationship with every human being and that God has come into the world in the person of Jesus Christ to make such a relationship possible. The mission of the church is then not just to add more members, to grow more programs, to meet the needs of more and more people, but to be the hands and feet of Christ in the world, to match our steps with his, to be with the people that he has called us to live and serve among, to be the church that can help fulfill the mission that God has given. And to do that, we all need to be on mission together, recognizing that we have been sent together. So as a community, how do we get that missional heart, that sentness of the gospel into our collective DNA? How can we live a missional life with Jesus while also balancing all the other things that compete for our time and our money and our attention? That is what we're going to spend the rest of the summer figuring out. I look forward to it. Amen.